Hi there. We are so blessed to be working through the book of Acts and to be considering uh, what happened with the early church and drawing out what God wants to speak to us about it today. Today we're going to look at a passage that leaves us with so many things to consider. Uh, but what I'd like to do is rather than give a massive sort of fanfare or introduction, I'd like us to just jump in and read it. So if you've got your Bibles to hand, could you uh, open up Acts chapter 6 and we'll be reading from verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to be able to wait on the tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, I love that name, uh, Timon, Parmenas and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. It can often be a good discipline to open a scripture and look to interpret it through a number of different filters. This passage is often used to talk about delegation. Important tasks in the life of the church are spread out in order to share the load. Many people believe that the sense of having a wider leadership team, the birth of the idea of deacons, comes from this very passage. Not just a few people who do everything, but a wider body of gifted people. We're going to look at all of that in a bit. But for now, I just want us to back up almost and start to look at it through the lens of caring for the poor. Because right at the start of this passage, something new is introduced. It's not explained. It's just mentioned in passing, although it forms the basis of the whole passage. The daily distribution of food. Now, we know that every day they've been breaking bread, uh, worshipping, opening the scriptures, visiting each other's homes. That's the basis of this uh, new developing church community. But now it seems like a new daily task is taking place, the distribution of food. At the start of Acts, we read about spontaneous acts of generosity, like selling a field and laying the money down or giving to one another as the need arose. So within the community of believers, there wasn't material need. We, we explored that earlier on in the series. Christian community has within its very sort of DNA, this idea of sharing and a heart to really bless one another and to care for one another informally within the church community, because that's who we are. But now it feels like there's almost like a bigger need or perhaps a, a more long term need. And that's required a larger, more organised response. So that's quite interesting that even in this early stage of the sort of organic and changing church environment, they're building systems to care for people in poverty. 
It's often said that in the smaller environment, people care for people, but when it gets bigger, you also need the systems in place. They're not just relying on relational connections that would allow people to receive help, but there was food being given out every single day. And the purpose of having that system in place was that no one would get missed out. But the absolute tragedy of this passage is that people are feeling left out. And so that's why it becomes an issue. The passage speaks of the Hellenistic Jews, that is Jews from a Greek background, and the Hebraic Jews, the, the ones from Israel who spoke Hebrew, who, who this was their home. 3,000 people have arrived uh, from all over the place to a festival and have suddenly come to faith. So you've got a wide variety of people. And then we're led to believe from this passage that there's some underlying tension between these groups, the Jews from the dispersed regions and the Jews from Israel. Right in the heart of this early church community, they're wrestling with issues of racial diversity and the pressures caused by immigration. Those who travelled to Jerusalem and then stayed having come to faith, they wouldn't necessarily have their own property or their own employment, so they could well have been at significant material disadvantage by this stage, completely reliant on the, the hospitality and the generosity of others. And that provides a weak spot, a relational difficulty that could lead to very real division. The devil really hates the church and is always trying to attack it. And this is the third attack in a, in a short space of time. We heard about increased persecution before that, the corruption that came about through Ananias and Sapphira, that could have been disastrous as it would have shown up such hypocrisy. But today there's a third, a much more sort of subtle attack on the church, really. One of disunity that brings distraction. The number of disciples is increasing and so is the number of grumbles. The same kind of grumbling that the Israelites did against Moses in the desert. It's now apparent in people grumbling that this distribution of help, which is intended to be a blessing, is meant to be something good, but it's not working out fair. Sometimes people say things like, we really need to get back to the experience of the early church. And that's great. We're well up for that. That's why we're working through this book. But there's a slight danger that we have this false view of, oh, back then everything was hunky-dory and lovely and only now do we have a bit of drama. What I love about this narrative is that it's a warts and all account and it shows that even in those early days, they were having genuine stresses and strains as they sought to be a community together. It's almost like the trendy thing to read the first couple of chapters of Acts and say, yeah, we want to be a New Testament church back to the grassroots. But six chapters in, hypocrisy, persecution, grumbling. Because dare I say it, people are people. And we all bring our baggage into this and that can cause harm. There's this underlying racial tension because the Jews from a Greek background are complaining against the Jews from a Hebrew background. Backing up a bit and in order to care for the widows in Exodus 22, we know that God had promised to defend the cause of the widows, assuming that they had no one to support them. Maybe if they were elderly, no way of earning for themselves. So the church had taken upon itself responsibility to feed them. 
There's an underlying principle here that if something is in the heart of God through the ages, then generally speaking, it becomes part of the outworking of the church, of his people. But the basic complaint here was that the widows from the Greek community were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And there's nothing in the text to suggest that that's not a fair observation. It probably was happening. Not not that it was deliberate. It doesn't seem to assume that people were trying to do that. It's much more likely to be about poor administration or a lack of supervision of what was happening or something like that. But the cultural tensions that were seen in the wider nation were now sadly coming into the church. And it's interesting that ha- it's interesting when that happens that like when something happens, it could be a cause of resentment. People look to the divisions and, and find the divisions in it. And we see that, don't we, between old and young, between men and women, between English and Welsh. (laughs) In the UK church, it's often seen between the sort of the young people wanting something new and more relevant for their generation and the older people wanting things the way that they've always been. Now, that's a caricature, obviously. But there's definite sort of lines where when things are difficult, the tensions come out and people feel that sense of division. Disagreement can fester, especially when there's an inefficiency or or if there's an unfairness in the way things have been done. Even if that's accidental, it still matters. So the complaint is brought. Their widows are being treated more favourably. Ours are being overlooked. At this point, the apostles could have come steaming in and got all hands on to try and fix it. Are you tempted to do that sometimes? Oh no, something's gone wrong. We've got to go and get stuck in and fix it. They did fix it, but not necessarily hands-on themselves. They discerned that that wasn't the best way forward because that would take them away from doing other things that they were supposed to be doing. There's nothing here in the passage that suggests they thought that this work was beneath them. It's just it wasn't their primary call before God. They were called to prayer and to the ministry of the word. I found it quite sort of amusing personally preparing this because even as I was writing this, there was this sort of ever increasing to do list of stuff to do. Lots of things that need attention, which I do want to get to. But I had to stop and to pray and to open the scriptures and to focus on this as a primary part of my ministry. So even though this was really important work in the life of the church, it didn't mean that they were the ones who had to do all of it. Instead, this suggestion of choosing seven others, men full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, that is practically minded and spiritually mature. Gifted leaders over here can get on with this stuff and gifted leaders over there can get on with that stuff. It's it's a reasonable assumption that this is a template of what the deacons would be, this sort of new classification of leader, if you like, that would come later with a focus on the pastoral or the caring for the poor, perhaps the more practical elements. This appears to be all of those wrapped into one. In the early churches, they were soon to appoint elders who had this guardianship of the church as a whole, Whereas here we see these other leaders having a guardianship of a specific area of the church, a specific task. In Philippians 1, Paul 
greets the church and he greets the elders and the deacons and the wider church community. So it feels like in a healthy church context, all of those three are really important. Here in this passage, they're not just appointing workers, if you like, they're appointing leaders. They're the ones who are going to be on the front line at the coalface, helping sort out these quarrels. They need spiritual maturity, discernment, kindness and grace. And, and we've got to be so careful not to draw lines like, oh, this person is doing something spiritual like worship, not something practical like food bank. It doesn't seem to uh, draw any distinction like that. This role does have a practical outworking, but they need highly gifted leaders to fulfil it. It was absolutely as spiritual as anything else. And this suggestion seems to make sense to everyone as it pleases the whole group. So they put it into effect. And these new roles, far from being sort of secondary or like below the apostles, menial, anything like that nonsense. It starts with the apostles laying their hands upon them and commissioning them for this vitally important work in the life of the church. This task that they were taking on, blessing those in difficulties, it was so important that they were being commissioned for it by the whole church, in front of the whole church. And that tells us something about the value and the importance of caring for the poor, of those in difficulty. There are two different threads happening here for the leadership in this new developing church. Each is really important. The apostles really do need to release ministry to suitable people. They cannot do everything. They do need to focus on what they're called to do. So whether your ministry is is, is the word or the tables, if you like, it, it, it's a call from God and it, it's what we do for God. Different ones of us are called to different things in different ways and it all has a place. And as you weave those different things together, it's like a patchwork quilt of our different callings in God that comes together to create this amazing bigger picture. The direct result of all of this is found in verse seven. The word of God spreads. Many more people become disciples. There are more believers the right people focusing on the right things in the right places seems to strengthen the church massively. The blessing of God is on them. Their love for one another, their care for one another continues to be part of their witness and others come to Christ. The word of the Lord spread. Oh God, that is my prayer. I hope it's your prayer too. I'm sure it is for our generation in this next period of time. That's our desire, Lord, that your word spreads, that people come to faith. Lord, let it be that more would know your son, Jesus. And when that does happen, there's going to be more people. And when there's more people, there's going to be more needs. And dare I say it from this passage, There'll probably be more grumbles too, and we'll need to sort those out. I want to draw out three reflections as we close. Firstly, the apostles listened. They could have said, oh, can't you see that we're so busy? We're doing our best. Stop complaining. Touch not the Lord's anointed kind of attitude. But no, even though it was all accidental, they absolutely took it seriously and got it sorted. They also listened to who to pick, not like it was some popularity contest. 
or, or even particularly a voting mechanism, but actually there was this consultation, there was this conversation. You know each other better than we know all of you. Who do you think? When I talk to people in the church, I'm often listening out for something amazing that someone else has done or, or the respect that you're expressing for that person, how you appreciate them. That sticks in my mind because next time we're looking for a new leader or to someone to join the team, we don't have all the answers about things. It really helps us to know who's being followed, who's being fruitful, who's being a blessing to those around us. And then our responsibility is to recognise that, to support it and to release it. So they listened to their concerns and they listened to their solutions, but it was still them who laid hands and anointed them for service. So there's this partnership between the leadership and the body. The, the, the raising of the difficulty comes out of the body, but so does the solution. It's not just what are you going to fix in your church? It's the body together, working together, out of which this new fruitfulness comes. So they listened, but they also delegated. There are definitely lessons in here about people's expectations of leadership and perhaps leaders' expectations of themselves. The delegation that we say here leads to much better outcomes for everyone. The apostles weren't distracted or stressed out by another thing to do. The new leaders were given an opportunity to serve and to grow in their gifts and their stature. And the widows got the food evenly distributed. So this isn't just a win-win situation. This is win-win-win. The apostles, the new leaders and the widows all benefit. It's interesting, you know, one thing I've loved to see with the building project that we've been involved with recently is that we've had a team of people working on the whole project, another team of people working on the design and the colour elements of it, another team working on the lighting, another team working on the sort of video side of it. All of these skilled and able and experienced and spirit-filled, gifted people working together to make something really special. And that's absolutely fantastic. I walk in there now and I think, how rubbish would this be if it had all been decided by people like me who don't understand much of the things that people are doing? All the walls would have blue and amber stripes and we would have installed this massive fish tank at the front. But it would be absolutely rubbish for, uh, for what we need it for. Now, that's not the answer. Let the gifts God has given his church be released. That's just a recent example where delegation leads to a much greater result. We do need to continue to grow in this more and more as a church. We recognise that as leaders each of us keeping focus on what God has called us to do. There's a responsibility there to, to raise up and release, but there's also a responsibility to step up and to take opportunity. You need both those things to happen at the same time in order to see this fruitfulness. And finally, the third point, this sense of support for those in difficulty is right in the heart of the church. It's not a bolt-on extra, it's not a side issue, it's not a specialism, it's right in the middle of who they are as a people. It needed time, it needed leadership, it needed structure, it needed resources. When I think of the next few months coming up, the economic difficulty being faced by people within and outside the church, 
This is a moment where we must be ready to continue to bless and to support people. Thank you to everyone who gave into the Fellowship Fund just before Christmas. There's resource available if people within our fellowship get into difficulty. Central, organised, ready. We need that in the centre of the DNA of how we relate to each other as a church. And of course, we've got social action projects and those are seeing a huge demand and that will increase over the coming weeks with everything that that entails. And what's a beautiful thing is we're going to see this small army of dedicated people, many leaders from Barnabas Community Church, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, helping to distribute and arrange help for those who need it in our local community. Those of you involved, we really want to bless you. We want to pray for you. We want to thank God for you. Part of the word of the Lord spreading will be through the testimony of people who've been helped and loved by your spirit-filled service to the Lord. Thank you so much. And so to finish, the early church, with all the excitement, with all the progress, with all the breakthrough, has to come to terms, has to find a way through. Opposition, sin issues, racial tensions, grumbling, people causing offence, people being offended. But as they journey this together and follow the Spirit's leading for them, God seems to use all of that to release blessing amongst them. A final point before I close. I just love how honest the Bible is. I love how it shows the challenges and the breakthrough. I love how real it is about how human weaknesses cause difficulty. Because it also then shows that God has got it all in his hands. He is above it all. He's using it all for his purposes. And the word of God continues to spread. Lord, let that be said of us in our generation, that the word of God continue to spread. Amen.